Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. I'm Ethan Warren. And this is The Great Hunting Caper. In 1975, a 39-year-old Jim Henson made a pitch reel for CBS in which a straight-laced Muppet wearing glasses and tie begged the network to produce Jim's new variety show. In conclusion, I would like to point out that it is time for a revolutionary new look in primetime variety television and the combination of the Muppets and George Slaughter can bring this to the world. Yes, for over 20 years, Jim Henson here and the dedicated group of people that make up the Muppets have been developing the art of television puppetry to heights that were never before considered possible. And at the same time, George Slaughter here has been developing and creating new forms in television comedy that have changed the very face of primetime television. From the same creative minds that brought you Ralph of the Jimmy Dean Show, Laugh-In, Sesame Street, The Cher Show, Turn On, what? Oh, anyhow. These two giants of the industry have fused their creative juices into one great explosion of brilliant television programming. And what is this fusion of creative juices called? The Muppet Show. A show that will be loved and adored by every Nielsen home in the country. Small children will love the cute, cuddly characters. Young people will love the fresh and innovative comedy. College kids and intellectual eggheads will love the underlying symbolism of everything. Freaky, long-haired, dirty, cynical hippies will love our freaky, long-haired, dirty, cynical Muppets because that is what show business is all about. Yes, and when this show hits, the careers of the men who made the decision to put this show on the air will skyrocket. People like Bob Wood, Lee Curlin, Perry Lafferty, Oscar Katz, and even Tom Swafford will become stars in their own right. The names of these men will become household words like stove, sink, toilet, no, 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 like patriotism, apple pie, and mother. Friends, the United States of America needs the Muppet Show, and you should buy this show. Now, we're not pulling any punches here. I mean, there's nothing subtle about this pitch. So buy the show and put it on the air, and we'll all be famous. The Muppets will be famous, and CBS will be famous because we'll have a hit show on our hands, and we'll all get temperamental and hard to work with, but you won't care because we'll all make a lot of money, and Slaughter and Henson will be happy, and you will be happy, and Kermit's mother will be happy. And God will look down on us and smile on us, and he will say, let them have a 40 share. CBS passed, just like every network to which Jim had pitched some iteration of The Muppet Show in the past few years. The work was good, everyone agreed each time. Jim was talented. But puppets were for kids, and specifically the Muppets were for Sesame Street. Why would an adult bother to tune in? This way of thinking had long been the bane of Jim's existence, though he had recently been making strides in the grown-up direction by working on the first season of another variety show, Saturday Night Live. 
right here. That's that's where he lives. Now you get down there, so you're you're small enough. Go, go push him. Down there. Oh. Down there. Yeah, I'm down here. But what a mess. What do you I've see, down there? I'm trying to see what I can find. Oh, what's this hanging over his bed? What's that? Oh, it's a picture of Lily Tomlin. Mm -hmm. I'll see what else I can find. Uh-oh, and what's this in his wastebasket? What's that? What? It's his old picture of Fran Allison. <laughs> I'll see if I can find any more clues in this rubble. Let me see, let me see. Oh, Plumas, I think I found it. Look what was lying on his writing desk. Well, it's a, it looks like the first draft of a letter to Lily Tom. It says, Dear Lily, I have watched with enchantment your beautiful image when I can sneak away from my loathsome, degrading, filthy job. Read on, read on. It says, Mi enchante, je t'aime, je t'aime. It says, P.S. Be mine tonight, your slave in love, Scred. On the down at the bottom, it says, the partnership had been arranged by Bernie Brillstein, manager to both Jim and Lauren Michaels, and now the Muppet team was toiling over the land of Gorch, a series of sketches set on an alien planet in which a handful of grotesque creatures bantered lazily to soft and scattered audience laughter. These new Muppets looked right, and they had the right voices, but something felt indescribably wrong about it, a fact that could be blamed on guild regulations that barred Jim and his crew from writing their own material, leaving them to perform scripts written by the SNL writers, who resented the very idea of, as head writer Michael O'Donoghue sniffed, writing for felt. Yeah, Land of Gorch is really fascinating because it's, it's as far as I can tell, it's the first Henson project that isn't really uh, what we think of as, as the Muppets or like the, the Muppet-adjacent characters. And it's the first thing that goes to a more sort of adult place, a more darker place. And you can absolutely see how experimenting uh with those sketches uh allows henson the sort of you know maybe just the the space in his brain to consider something like dark crystal and so i think if you look at those and then you look at the the work of brian froud who is his sort of one of his collaborators on dark crystal it's just so easy to see how 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 these like pathways in his brain have connected and and uh and and gone from muppets to dark crystal which seemingly could not be more different from each other other than the production techniques involved sometime after passing on the muppet show cbs executives found themselves with a puzzle the network owned and operated a host of subsidiary stations nationwide and were in need of syndicated programming they could air in the early evening prior to prime time now that those executives thought about it the Muppet Show might not be such a bad idea. Jim's dream was on the verge of coming true at last. He had labored through years of failed pilots and false starts, and now the ship had come in. But still, he hesitated. Syndication was hardly the future he had envisioned for the series, and anyway, it represented a significant gamble. Every owned and operated station could pick up the show, bringing it into millions of homes, or else none of the stations could buy it, leaving them back where they started, or worse. The solution to Jim's quandary came in the form of the impresario Lord Lou Grade, who agreed to finance the show to the tune of $125,000 per episode, double the budget of most series of the era. For those keeping score at home, Lord Grade was offering the equivalent of about $700,000 today. Jim was intrigued, though there was a catch that likely gave him pause. Grade insisted the show be produced in England. If Jim did hesitate, though, it wasn't for long. With his wife Jane and their five children staying back in Connecticut, Jim Henson was off to England. 
Jim knew the Muppet Show would work. He had been trying to get a Muppet variety series as early as 1964 or 65. In, in his archives, there's uh, early proposals for that. They don't look a lot like the Muppet Show as we know it now, but Jim knew it would work. And um, even the appearances you see him make on variety on other people's variety shows is, is him learning the craft, him learning um, you know, what works, what works quickly how to get in and get out. Um, he really appreciated from working on the Jimmy Dean show, as he always said, how to write good jokes. You, he said you always made sure the last word in the sentence was the funny one. Um, so so Jim has a lot of things he's learned since he got into TV in 1955 that he is trying to put into practice with a half hour TV show. And he gets, you know, wh one of the things I love about The Muppet Show is it is such a study in the power of perseverance because Jim Henson, who knows The Muppet Show will work, um, is pitching it and pitching it and pitching it and can't really find people who get it, who are receptive. Fortunately, he lands on Michael Eisner at ABC at one point. He says, Jim, I love you. That's the, do, do your pilots, do your, do your variety show. So Jim does his first um, Muppet Show, which is um, the Muppets Valentine special. And it if you watch it it looks sort of like the muppet show you know you don't have kermit there as the host and you're not quite sure where it's taking place it looks like a conservatory maybe and you've got the special guest with mia farrow so it looks sort of familiar um but doesn't quite work it does okay it does respectably uh and michael eisner says you, you know what jim we'll we'll let you do another one and so that one becomes the muppet show sex and violence which is where you see Jim figuring it out a little bit more. Every time he comes back, he figures it out a little bit more. And he, um, you know, he's he's got some characters in that one that look familiar. You see Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhemer in there. Uh, it's a it's Jim called that episode that particular in Summit Freak City. He just he loved how crazy that uh, that sex and violence could get. You know, Crazy Harry's in it. Statler and Waldorf. There's an early Miss Piggy in it. So so sex and violence is is an important sort of precursor to The Muppet Show, but it's still not quite The Muppet Show. And again, Kermit's not the host. We don't quite know again where it's taking place. It looks like it's maybe in a TV studio, but we're not quite sure. So so they were still trying to figure a lot of things out with The Muppet Show, but you know, it already had two strikes against it. And Jim, again, fortunately lands on Lord Grade at ATV in London, who, who gets it who understands Jim, who's sort of cut from the same cloth. Lord Grade is one of these old school vaudevillians. Um, but one of the stories I love about Lord Grade is sort of like Jim Henson. Jim knew that what mattered on TV, you know, on, on with performing puppets was what you saw on the TV screen. So he would always watch the, the monitor. Lord Grade had come up out of vaudeville dancing um, the Charleston on tables. And what he would do is he would dance on this oval shaped table, but he would turn the narrow side toward the audience. So it looked like it was much harder than it really was. So I love that story because it sort of shows you have two guys who sort of think the same way. They sort of understand the power of presentation. So Lord Grade is the right guy for that project. And, and so for that five years, it's just Jim and his gang just cutting loose and having a ball. The Muppets were installed in the best facilities at Elstree Studios, where Stanley Kubrick had shot 2001 A Space Odyssey, and where George Lucas would one day shoot The Empire Strikes Back. The Muppet builders remained at the New York workshop, though a second workshop would be opened in England for the sake of quick builds and touch-ups. Jim made what seemed like a risky choice as the show rolled into production. While he would feature two legacy Muppets in Kermit and Ralph, there would be no other familiar felt faces, despite some viewers having been watching Jim's TV puppetry for two decades by now. 
as he worked a vaudevillian bear and a blonde-haired, smoky-eyed pig into the rotation, as he rescued an incidental Muppet from an old Christmas special and redubbed today, whatever. As Kermit's family grew, Jim just had to hope these new characters clicked. Key to the conception of The Muppet Show was the notion of special guests. Much like at his one-time home, Saturday Night Live, Jim hoped for a cavalcade of celebrities to join the Muppets for half an hour of joy and mayhem. Unfortunately, a syndicated puppet show was a tough sell for Hollywood luminaries, let alone one that required crossing the Atlantic to tape. So it was up to Jim's manager, Bernie Brillstein, to come to the rescue. From his personal contacts, Brillstein rustled up enough guests to fill out a first season. After that, the show would be anyone's guess. The pilot of The Muppet Show featured actress and dancer Juliet Prowse. The episode debuted the format that would define the show. Kermit hosts a variety program, with the viewers seeing the acts performed as well as the backstage antics that Kermit must navigate while trying to keep the show on track. The Prowse episode opens with a performance from Menomina, reprising an act Jim had performed for Ed Sullivan and Nancy Sinatra. Prowse dances to Scott Joplin's Solace, a Mexican serenade, alongside a herd of green marionette gazelles before being interviewed by Kermit. Uh, your average frog doesn't have a lot going for him in the looks department. Oh, I don't know. I think you're quite attractive. Really? Mm-hmm. You're not just saying that because you're a guest. Well, certainly not. In fact, I'd go as far as to say that you are the Robert Redford of frogs. Oh, wow. Hey, hey listen, everybody. Did you hear that? Juliet Prowse thinks I'm the Robert Redford of frogs. Hey, you're going to be coming back on this show a lot. <laughs> Hey, hey, listen, have you ever kissed Robert Redford? Uh, no, I haven't. Uh, how about, uh, <clears throat> kissing the next best thing? You mean to tell me that Paul Newman is here? <laughs> I mean me, the Robert Redford of Frogdom. Ah, uh, my pleasure. <sighs> Fozzie stars in a John Wayne pastiche with pickles in place of six shooters. Gonzo promises to eat a tire before being heckled off the stage by Statler and Waldorf. Finally, the Muppets offer Prowse a parting gift, a Muppet crafted in her likeness. The pieces were in place immediately, though from today's vantage, the characters can seem like shadows of their future selves, particularly Gonzo, then a neurotic hangdog with a gravelly, childish voice. Once, Jim had feared that no stations would buy his show, but the Muppets were a hit, picking up channels quickly and consistently. In their review, the Hartford Current raved that, quote, it's breezy and funny, not just for kids, but also for oldsters of almost any age. The show has a quality rarely seen on TV. That quality is imagination. End quote. I, as I was turning six and seven, a whole lot of a whole lot of things happened that I think uh, were formational for me. The Muppet Show arrived. Star Wars arrived. The animated version of The Hobbit arrived. Somebody introduced me to Watership Down soon after that. 1977 was the year that uh, the Portland Trailblazers won the NBA championship. And as a big Trailblazers fan, that gave me an appetite for championships that being a sports fan in the Pacific Northwest has frustrated me for the rest of my life. Um, but so much happened there that shaped what I get excited about. And when I realized that Sesame Street had a, there was a new version of Sesame Street 
that was playing on prime time television, which to me translated as television for grown-ups, that kind of blew my mind because it suggested that the stuff I enjoyed as a kid and the kind of play that inspired me creatively as a kid, I could carry that with me into adulthood. I would not have to leave that behind. Jim Henson and Frank Oz and company were modeling for the rest of us that you did not have to uh, put away your childhood imagination and grow up. But it was much more along the lines of what Madeline Lengel talks about as our ages not being isolated mathematical statistics. You are not five and then seven and then nine. You are five and also seven and also nine and also 35 and also 50 like the rings of a tree. Uh, you are a person who is expanding, not leaving one stage for the next. And so the Muppet show um, showed me grown-ups still engaged in play with joy and curiosity and humility and discovery and a kind of reckless madness that allowed for new surprises to happen even for the people running the show and that i think more than anything the muppets have done um gave me a vision for where i wanted to go with my life i wanted to make stuff i wanted to be in a community that was making stuff and being surprised i wanted to be in a community that respected the rules, but also understood that if you bend them enough, you can make new discoveries that's, that are for the good of everyone. Uh, I think it it cultivated an appetite for me um, uh, for stuff like David Letterman, Late Night with David Letterman, who had a similarly Muppet-like sensibility, that, that sense of these are the conventions, these are the routines we're going to do every night but we're going to leave a lot of room for chaos. We're gonna leave, leave a lot of room for accidents. Uh, we're going to play with those conventions and be self-aware about them in a way that keeps us humble and shows us that there's that we've never got it figured out. We've never arrived. There's all There are always better possibilities out there. Um, so I just became enamored of that variety show kind of experience, but one that could be self-aware enough to have fun with the format. In an article on the syndication phenomenon, the New York Times despaired that the early evening schedule was, quote, clogged by instant throwaways and garbage. But all, admittedly, is not junk. The Muppet Show is frequently charming and always imaginative. The Henson characters provide thoroughly splendid diversions that lend credence to the concept of family viewing, end quote. By the time of the second season, the show was already being seen by 125 million viewers in 103 countries. A year after Brillstein had struggled to book guests, the celebrities were now calling him asking to be booked. A Kermit balloon sailed in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, while in England the Muppet Show album knocked the Beatles off the top of the charts, and the Muppet van was mobbed at a traffic light. And part of, part of that show, too, is watching it evolve, because I'm not sure if you put that first season of The Muppet Show on Netflix now, um, you know, let's pretend there was never a Muppet show and you put that one on there. I think Netflix might have pulled the plug on it. 
Um, you know, the, the in 1975, when you don't have a lot of stations, you, you do have the luxury of a little bit of time, especially in syndication. So there's some things in the first season that don't necessarily work. And Jim is constantly trying to, like, find what works and what doesn't. And part of the magic solution on that as well was getting Jerry Joel in as head writer. Jerry was not the head writer in the first, first season. And bringing Jerry Joel in really changes the tenor of that show. It becomes much more character-based and much less vignette and joke-based. Uh, and so that was sort of the form of that from season two on Muppet, the Muppet show really takes off. Um, but you know, it, it was a study in, in, in patience and perseverance and time. And then once they got there, they were just, they were the biggest show in the world. They were the show everybody wanted to do. Uh, that was one of the really fun things digging through the archives was seeing the letters that were going in and going out from people who, you know, I think Kenny Rogers is one who's, who's, who's agent. I, I think a person was like, Kenny wants to do your show. He really wants to do your show. And Kenny got to do the show. Um, Jim used to go to his writers and say, you know, tell me, tell me who you want. Um, who should we go after? Because that first season, it was tough to get guests. And Jim was very lucky in that he had a very plugged in agent, Bernie Brillstein, who had a lot of clients who he talked into doing the Muppet show. And everybody had a great time because Jim's producer, David Laser, partly because Jim had been treated so well, I think by Julie Andrews on her show, made sure that everybody was treated really well. So it was one of those shows people love to do because you were gonna get to go to London, you were gonna get treated really great, you were gonna have a fantastic time, you were gonna get to put your input into it. Um, you know, they'd always ask people, what do you wanna do? And that's when you get, I think, Beverly Sills tap dancing. And you know, you get, I mean, you get, who is it? Who's got, is Beverly Sills, I think he's got the spoon hanging off of her nose. And you know, you got Sylvester Stallone doing stuff he's never done. So he'd always let people, what do you wanna do that you'd have never get to do? What Muppet would you like to perform with? Who would, who would be fun for you? So, um, so it's just, you know, it's, it's five years of just absolute pure joy for Jim Henson and the Muppet performers. Meanwhile, the bench of Muppet performers continued to deepen. Richard Hunt and Jerry Nelson stepped over from Sesame Street to play characters like stage manager Scooter and Electric Mayhem bassist Floyd, respectively, while Dave Goles left his post in the workshop to take up the role of Gonzo. Louise Gold and Steve Whitmire came aboard to help with the dozens of ensemble Muppets, but there was one breakout star of The Muppet Show, Frank Oz, and his alter ego, Miss Piggy. Though she began life as a background Muppet without a consistent voice, by the show's third season, Miss Piggy was doing press alongside Kermit and usually stealing the spotlight to the delight of host and audience. Displaying a comic timing honed since the early 60s, Jim and Frank brought the frog and the pig to be interviewed by the BBC's Michael Parkinson in 1978. Some things, buddy. <laughs> like what? Your legs. <laughs> legs. You have great legs. <laughs> Tell me he has wonderful legs. Oh, well, uh, wonderful. I, I'm, I'm very uh, happy for him. Uh, could we, I mean, I, my frog has wonderful legs, too. Could we see uh, Kermie's legs? What? Wait, my legs? Mm-hmm. Well... Can you see your legs, Kermie? Uh, yes, I... Our I, I, host? I, 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 <laughs> could we see... And, uh... <laughs> now, Michael, could we possibly... Possibly... <laughs> I mean, I... I don't know how to ask this, but... Piggy. Lift him up, kid. <laughs> do, do you want to see my I'd, I'd love to. Would you? Yes. All right, I'll see my legs. <laughs> I have never in my life... <laughs> Those are exquisite. Would you like to touch them? Could I? Yes. Oh! <laughs> 
happy. Could I, could I in return, could I, could I stroke your hair? Yes, I... Don't stop there. <laughs> oh, you really are beautiful. Watch it. You're fantastic. Thank you. Krimi. Krimi. Yes. I just want you to know that Michael and I, this little tete-a-tete, he and moi am having is not nothing serious. <laughs> I mean, it's, it is nothing lasting. Yes, it is. <laughs> Jim worked himself to the bone, but as he wrote in his diary, I don't resent the long work time. I shouldn't. I'm the one who set my life up this way. But I love to work. It's the thing that I get the most satisfaction out of and probably what I do best. Not that I don't enjoy days off. I love vacations and loafing around. But I do think much of the world has the wrong idea of working. It's one of the good things in life. The feeling of accomplishment is more real and satisfying than finishing a good meal or looking at one's accumulated wealth. In 1979, Jane and three of the Henson children joined Jim in England for an agreed-upon single year. Jim was overjoyed. Despite years of physical distance, he remained a devoted father who had asked for his children's perspective and collaboration since virtually the day they were born. Now, 18-year-old Cheryl went to work in the Elstree workshop, part of an operation that had by now ballooned beyond anything Jim had imagined. What had begun as Jim, Jerry, Don, and Frank in a two-room office above a nightclub was now an intercontinental team of over 70, while the one-time scrawny geek whose puppets lip-synced to novelty records was now being compared to Walt Disney. Jim, though, shirked the comparison. I'm slightly uncomfortable with all the people who want to say things like that about me, because I like Disney, but I don't ever particularly want to do what he did. He built this great, huge empire. I'm not particularly inclined to do that. You get that large a thing going, and I'm not sure that the quality of the work can be maintained. In fact, Jim had made a private decision. The fifth season would mark the show's 100th episode, the magic number that meant a broadcast series could live on in perpetuity and reruns. And that, Jim concluded, meant it was time to stop. Visitors still mobbed the Muppet workshops and mail poured in from fans and seemingly every underemployed puppeteer on Earth. But Jim was steadfast. It was time to see what the horizon held. We'll be right back after this quick break. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Muppet Show was something that, you know, it, I didn't understand the concept of syndication when I was a kid. So I loved The Muppet Show, but I was like, why can't I figure out when this is playing? I would come across it on television and it would be a stroke of great luck and then I would never be able to find it again. And then, so I got all the uh, DVDs when they're available and... I still love it, but it is a mixed bag like any sketch show is. You'll have wonderful stuff, and uh, the you know my favorite stuff is often the most experimental. Uh, you know, two two slinkies just moving around or whatever. I don't even know if that was the Muppet Show, but that kind of thing that they would do. Um, and uh, I would have a little less patience when. It was just like, let's do another ballroom scene where we're all dancing around doing one-liners. The Muppet Show is special, not just in that it is hilarious, because it is hilarious, uh, but in that, I don't know if other people had the same experience as I did, but watching The Muppet Show as a kid, it felt like the first thing that I watched that felt like a it could be a grown-up show. Like, uh, I didn't recognize most of the celebrities. I was watching it years after it was produced. It was in syndication at that point. So I didn't know who a lot of these seven... I didn't know who Peter Ustinov was or things like that. You know, And there's the episode where I think it's John Denver is on it, but they pretend that he's a guy who showed up, that John Denver couldn't make it, and he shows up, and, and they're like, well, why don't you do it? And I remember saying to my mom, oh, it's really funny. In this episode, the celebrity didn't show up. So they have this... The guy who, who brought the message, he's doing it. She's like, well, that's him. That's that's the guy. Like, that's, that's actually John Denver. But also, watching it at the time, it felt very sophisticated, even though a lot of the jokes are super corny on purpose. And watching it now, I'm struck by how much the music in it is such a big part of it, and how much of the music is not funny, and how much of the music is old, old music that would have been old music even when the show was on. That it was not, it wasn't like, oh, I'm watching this and these are the old, these old songs from the 70s. They're singing songs from like the 30s sometimes, or there's a... Uh, there's a well, one where they're, they're singing a, a, a version of Leatherwing Bat, which is a song that goes back, I don't know, 150 years or something like that. So it just that uh, watching it and feeling like this is a show that is more sophisticated than the things that I'm used to watching as a kid, but also that it's super funny and the characters are so lovable and uh, I've made such a career out of heckling things and so I took an early like as a kid to Statler Waldorf like just how how brilliant it is to have your show have it be a really enjoyable show but introduce characters who hate the show and are also making funny jokes about how bad they think the show is and just the the way that the Muppet show is able to balance the actual quality of it with the feeling of low rent kind of chintzy not quality. It would have been very easy probably to do a Muppet show where they were very good at putting on a show 
and they're just doing their best because Jim Henson and Frank Oz and everyone involved were such amazing show people. But to, to say, no, we're going to take this one step further, and The Muppet Show is actually a pretty low-rent show, and it doesn't do very well, and the theater is not in great shape, and the audience does not like the show, is a... Thinking about it now, there's just so many layers to what could have been a very straightforward sketch show with puppets. The amazing thing that you always find in these Muppet films and, the, and these Muppet shows is the sort of metatextual stuff going on and the weirdness of there always being a behind the scenes narrative in addition to a sort of front of house thing that's going on. And the Muppet show in its formula, it's just so funny that the they built a whole show around the notion of it's a late night show, but it's a late night show about making a late night show. And every week, these famous people are going to come on the show and they're going to be forced to interact with these non-human characters, treat it all as though it's real, but also get, you know, properly exasperated. And the way that he's able to blend all of that seamlessly together and have it be funny and have it be clever is just a, a wild thing to witness. And some of the people that, you know, come on that show end up in these really memorable sketches that really hold up today, I think. There was something something different about what the Muppets were doing there versus the movies. And, and I'm not sure if it's the like, on the, it's, on the one hand, it's television. And on the other hand, it's theater. Um, it's the live show, right? It's a Asteroid City. It's like putting on a televised production of a theatrical production. And what that does to their rhythms and their energies and how they consume and regurgitate the real world is anarchic in the best sense. Yeah, it's also where uh, he gets the most successfully abstract, I think, which the movies lack. You don't, you know, it's just every episode you're getting a few sketches that are like nothing you've seen before and nothing you'll see again. Um, like my daughter and I watched uh, the Linda Carter episode and uh, there's the rubber band man song. Uh, she sings, do you know, do you know that song? No, not a band. Oh, holy cow. It's good. And they have little rubber band men that like, uh -huh. they just, they built little rubber band men for one sketch on one episode. Yeah. And you, you can see why this is the show with maybe the highest budget in the history of television at the time, or at least had an astronomical budget. Yeah. yeah. And good, good on Lord Lou Grade for giving it to him. Yeah, and like the having all the money and budget you need in the world to make the thing. And so being able to imagine whatever you want in terms of like the, the sketch and in terms of like the material you'll use to build it, but still being limited by the physical universe. So you have you have an ultimate limitation on what you can do, but it's very far away. And so you are stretching to that point all the time. And you're not even that focused on it being a success all the time. As some of those sketches just seem like like dartboarded um, Gilda Radner doing Pirates of Penzance puns with a giant carrot. The Muppet Show feels like um, All Things Must Pass by George Harrison, right? Like there was so much that was clearly waiting to emerge and like desiring to have this kind of show format, desiring to have the variety show like and being turned down a bunch of times so when it finally hits even if the first season and the first few episodes take a little while to find their footing once that footing is found it's everything is just coming pouring out of the chamber 
So, should we talk about the Linda Carter episode that we both watched? Yes. Yes, I agree. Well, first of all, I, I gave you the um, list of, of guests. I kind of wanted to do something from season four, because that's like kind of when the show was at its peak. Um, and it wasn't ending yet. And so I gave you all the season four guests, and you gravitated to Linda Carter, because I said she was Wonder Woman. Is that what made you want to say her? Actually, didn't we decide when I was, when we were going down and you said maybe there would be some Wonder Woman stuff? And then there wasn't. Miss Piggy did a little Wonder Woman business, but no, did, were you disappointed you didn't get to see Linda Carter in her Wonder Woman suit? Uh, a little, but she said she didn't even bring it. I was a little disappointed too, because it would have been fun, but that's sort of one of the things about The Muppet Show is I think sometimes the guests wanted to do things that they didn't usually do and not do things that they did do. Like you mentioned, there was one thing she did a bunch of. Do you remember what that was? Singing. Yeah. And I said, I bet that Linda Carter loves to sing but doesn't feel like she gets enough chances. And so the Muppet team said, we'll let you sing. And that was the whole thing. That was what got people to go across the Atlantic and do this show. Oh, there was this. They sang they sang three Beatles songs in this episode. That was so weird. I mean, not weird. It was delightful. Um, so this first one, um, Janice was being uh, sacrificed before some uh, pagan idol. <laughs> And was singing, uh, I get by with a little help from my friends. Do you have a perspective on that skit? I liked the big stone that was going to eat her. I thought that puppet was hilarious. I agree with you. Um, oh, and then there was the little running bit where uh, Scooter was teaching all of the Muppets to be superheroes. Did you like that? Kind of. Why was it only kind of? Was there something that didn't work for you? Well, okay, I loved it so much. It's <laughs> a big reversal. Um, okay. <laughs> Which one was it? You didn't work for you or you loved it? Well, I, I liked I liked the little part where they were standing on a really tall ladder and they said some things and then they all jumped from the ladder and tried to fly, but they all went, bam! There is something very funny about <laughs> Muppets hitting the floor. For sure. And then we had the Rubber Band Man song. Linda Carter sang that. And there were the Rubber Man Man puppets. And that was one of many times in this episode that I said, I can't believe they did this every week. Because it was so creative. There was another Beatles song. Was this one, While My Guitar Gently Weeps, I think. One of the guys from the Electric Mayhem was singing it. What did you think of this one? Mm, I didn't really like it. Yeah, it wasn't really very like mayhem-y. It was just... One of the, I forget his name, maybe Floyd here singing a song. Mm. Mm. All right, what else we got? Sam the Eagle. Sam the Eagle was kicking around. Sam the Eagle has never been my guy. Do you like Sam the Eagle? He's always getting into some kind of mischief, I feel like. Yeah, mischief. Mischief of trying to stop the Muppets from having any fun. And I think that's, you know, you need, you need contrasting characters. And he never did anything for me. There was this one with Miss Piggy as the super pig, and she exploded through the ceiling, and there were chickens all around. What did you think of that one? I thought it was really silly because everyone got scared and said, Bark, bark. Do you remember what Kermit said beforehand? No. He said, this may not be suitable for adults, and you thought that was pretty interesting for a thing to say. So what does that mean? Well, the joke about it was that usually they say it might not be suitable for kids. But this time... It might not be suitable for adults. And why would it not be? Because it was really silly and crazy. 
Precisely. Oh, and then there was the wolf with the sheep. Uh, what do you think of the wolf and the sheep? I liked it because of the super sheep. Yeah, this was the superhero episode for sure, and everybody except Linda Carter got to be a superhero. <laughs> Uh, Linda sang another song, you know, there were some explosions, they always liked explosions, something ate something else, so classic Jim Henson stuff, something's getting eaten by something else and something's exploding, that's what we got, so what do you think of The Muppet Show? I love it. <laughs> What's your favorite thing about it? Um, it's so silly. So The Muppet Show was like my dad's favorite even though i'm pretty sure he was like in college when it debuted <laughs> but um you know it was that thing where it was aimed kind of at adults and kids like but there were a lot of things that only adults would get like the musical guests and stuff like that and um so he would always have us watch it in reruns and um i remember really distinctly the when beaker i think speaker is singing um time in a bottle because that was my parents wedding song so like when, when that episode came on my dad was like everyone get in the room <laughs> we have to watch this um I, I don't think that's how they first heard that song but that's how i first heard that song and so that was very special just in terms of our family lore but i always liked um the characters on the muppet show because they're so like each character is so distinct and it's kind of like um, which Golden Girls are you, but it's like which Muppet are you? And like I, I tend to wish I was Gonzo, but I'm not Gonzo. I'm not as weird as him or as cool. But I always wanted to be Gonzo, so there's that. Um, I'm probably more Fozzie Bear, where I don't tell good jokes, but I think I do. <laughs> but uh, I think I guess what I liked about the Muppet Show, watching it as a kid, is that it was that sort of slightly grown up version of Sesame Street where you still had these these characters that were clearly not human but they were even more human than the Sesame Street Muppets they were um they had adult personalities they had uh passions they had uh skills you know Rolf always um playing his piano and um animal playing the drums i always i wanted to be a drummer because of animal but i did not i'm not coordinated enough for that um so it's it's the muppet show is this i think another one where you, if you start with sesame street and then grow into muppet show uh, in terms of like child development it helps you again feel comfortable with pursuing and trying different things um and also both shows really help teach kindness without feeling preachy you know like kermit is so selfless most of the time and sometimes a little you know he's he's a little cautious but in a good way not in a in a like scaredy cat way and then miss piggy like just goes for what she wants and you know shows both how confidence is a really good thing but also over like hubris is also you know something that you should be thinking about so um I think both both shows are unique in the way that they tackled childhood development and psychology and it's just entertainment, pure entertainment. I mean, I, I think it's fun to see kind of uh, in the different, you know, episodes of the Muppet Show, there's some very like iconic ones. Um, I really love all of the ones where they have um, 
you know, musicians on of the era. There's um, a great episode with Helen Reddy, um, which I just love her music anyway, but she sings like You and Me Against the World with Kermit, which is just adorable. It's great. Um, uh, the Leo Sayer episode, like I said. Um, the kind of fun thing is that once they were, you know, because they essentially went from begging people to come on the show to being so successful they could have anybody they wanted pretty much uh their philosophy was that they were just the muppet crew were going to invite people that they wanted to have on the show that they wanted to meet so you do get like a lot of um older comedians that were really inspirational to jim and the others milton burles on an episode um but then you also get like really random people who you would not think would be great for this. My favorite example is Alice Cooper has an episode with the Muppets and it is so bizarre. It's like they venture into like full surrealist territory with this episode and it's fantastic. Um, and it's so much fun because once you see Alice Cooper there with the Muppets, you're like, yeah, this makes sense, but it isn't something that makes sense um, on the outset. But there's like this super bizarre sketch where it's like a cave and it's a bunch of stalactites and stalagmites who are talking to each other and they're talking about how they have a toothache and then it like zooms out and it's like the stalactites teeth in its own mouth are the ones having a toothache and it's super meta and bizarre. Um, so they really just kind of, you know, <laughs> do whatever they wanted to at a certain point. Um, obviously there are episodes, uh, like Julie Andrews is a very, you know, classic episode. People love that one. Julie Andrews had performed with the Muppets prior on one of their kind of like TV bits. Um, so she was, you know, accustomed to doing that, but obviously a great bit. Um, and then the other one that is kind of, you know, I think the culmination of the Muppet show and also very weirdly prescient would be, um, the episode with Mark Hamill, where Mark Hamill comes on as, um, well, they have, it's, I think the official guest star of the episode is the cast of Star Wars. So it's like Luke Skywalker, C-3PO and R2-D2. And then uh, Luke Skywalker's long lost cousin, Mark Hamill shows up and does his comedy bits. And it's a really like, bizarre, really funny episode. Works really well. Obviously, Frank was doing Yoda at that point. So there's like all this kind of cross-pollination. The episode ends with the whole cast of the Muppets and the whole cast of Star Wars singing When You Wish Upon a Star. So like this Disney classic, which just is really bizarre to watch back <laughs> because now both properties are owned by Disney. And it is just uh, really weird to kind of watch that, you know, culmination of it. Um, but that's really, you know, kind of like the height of what, you know, The Muppet Show was. That show to me had everything. And, you know, it was really, you know, like, it it's funny to later on when I learned that Jim Henson had done Muppets in the first season of Saturday Night Live and it hadn't worked uh, when he was doing like the Land of Gorge stuff, which was all very adult oriented and nobody on SNL I mean SNL was still figuring out what they were as a show and everybody by the time they realized oh it should be sketch comedy with these you know eight people and uh, also a musical guest and a host and they're like we don't need films by Albert Brooks we don't need Muppets we don't need a second stand-up comedian in the episode to do a, 
another monologue, you know. And it's so funny how Henson took that failure and then basically created a Saturday Night Live uh, for kids that was also for adults. Um, and honestly, that holds up, you know, holds up better than uh, if you gave someone the choice between binge watching all five seasons of The Muppet Show or all five of the first seasons of Saturday Night Live. Uh, you know, anyone choosing to watch the first five seasons of Saturday Night Live would quickly rue that decision because suddenly they find like, oh, the parts I like are few and far between and the long eight minute sketches that have uh, no laughs that uh, can still be attained in, in the 21st century uh, versus watching, you know, Liza Minnelli or John Cleese or someone on The Muppet Show really hitting it out of the park, you know, like, um, even, and it's just, it's such a laboratory for them to figure out, um, so many things. It's just, you know, the, even just the fact that like, even though he would later return to a sort of Muppet show format with other things, it also is a show that like they mastered it. Like by the time they were doing the fifth season, you know, there's a reason that we don't have 20 seasons of The Muppet Show, and it's just because they figured it out, and, you know, he, there was no point in them continuing to do a 6th, 7th, 8th season unless they just wanted to do more of the same kind of thing. They they figured out how to do it. They figured out what kind of jokes worked, what kind of songs worked. It's so good. Even the stuff that doesn't work now like you'll be watching an episode and suddenly there'll be a musical number that you don't remember that's just um uh feels like oh this is filler like this part is this part is like a couple of puppets singing a song there's not a lot going on there's not a lot of jokes there's not even a big comedic hook but it's like they have there's a weekly show they gotta like they gotta get through it and they they don't and they have the host for a certain amount of time they need they have three minutes to fill, you know. So why don't we have these dogs uh, sing a song in this, you know, in this or that dialect, you know? Um, but man, there's just so much to enjoy. There's so it, it's so thrilling to see uh, the main Muppet cast in its raw form. They they take one season to figure, you know, to sort of figure out like which things. Uh, are working which characters need to be tweaked a little and by season two they basically know what they're doing and then they just play it out they just like they blow it out and then they get out there's there's no bad season of the Muppet show there's no season where Jim leaves and other people keep running it you know there's it's it's a treasure that we have these shows um, I wonder you know it, it is the biggest mystery in my mind of the Muppets in the modern era that every time they've tried to bring them back, that they don't just hew as closely as possible to the formula of the Muppet show. I had a, I had a notion at one point of, um, and this was sort of at the peak of the Upright Citizens Brigade in, in New York in, in terms of people getting involved in it, that a modern version of The Muppet Show uh, could be that they have, like, an improv theater or a comedy theater, where part of it would be that you'd see, like, they're training the next generation of people to, you know, perform on the show, and that you'd have, like, um, 
that you could sort of set it in a modern uh, um, big city setting. Because it feels like The Muppet Show was sort of a throwback in some ways to like variety shows on TV. <clears throat> so I think that like when they would later do like Muppet television and stuff like that, um, it was a smart thing, even though it never caught fire in the same way. Um, I do feel like there's something to the core format of just like sketches and songs and guests and Muppets that they could return to if they could figure out a, a way to make it feel like you're not just remaking a show from the 1970s and early 80s. The show's final taping was for the Gene Kelly episode. Kelly taught Kermit Softshoe before performing Singin' in the Rain, a one-time Sam and Friends number, with the full Muppet Ensemble. The episode's close, in which Kelly strolls into the distance through a recreation of the MGM backlot, is undeniably poignant, but Jim was unsentimental in his journal. We finished our 120th Muppet show, and that wraps that up. We felt it was a good place to stop. We certainly enjoyed it. It was a nice show to do. By some metrics, when The Muppet Show went off the air, it may have been the most-watched show on Earth. But, said John Stone, quote, he was restless. And Jim would have been restless if he had lived to 109. He would never be satisfied to stay where he was, end quote. It's sort of beautiful, um, frustrating, and, you know, really wonderful about Jim Henson is he's got a show like The Muppet Show that's the biggest show in the world, and Jim says, you know, it's a, it's a really nice show. It was really fun to do, and he takes it off the air at the height of its powers because he wants to go do other things. Um, that's very Jim Henson. He does the same thing with Fraggle Rock, but that's very Jim. It's it's a nice show. It's lovely. He did what he wanted to do. It was time to go off and go make movies now. Takes that show off the air. I mean, you talk about um, integrity in, in a project. I mean, he could, he could have let that show just run itself out. Um, you know, he's almost sort of like Seinfeld taking Seinfeld off kind of at the height of its powers. You know, Jim does this with The Muppet Show. Biggest show in the world. It's won the Emmy Award for Best Comedy and Variety Series. Jim says it was a nice show. Really fun to do. Takes it off the air. Uh, you know, frustratingly brilliant uh, and really wonderful for him. Um, all right. Anything else you'd like to say about The Muppet Show or shall we sign off? I hope you liked this episode. On the next episode of The Great Henson Caper, we're moving right along, footloose and fancy-free. Getting there is half the fun. Come podcast with me. Every morning, every day, every evening, calling me away. We're almost there, come on. Every morning, every day, every evening,
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.